50. It's John 17, verse 13 to 23, on page 1680. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for speaking to us through the scripture reading. Please open our hearts and minds as we read today. Let your word be a lamp to guide our feet and a light for our path. Amen. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, you, Didier. So it's summertime. We're going to be a little relaxed right now. I want you to talk with somebody sitting near you. So you have permission to talk during the sermon here. Uh, talk with someone near you about the word glory. What does the word glory mean to you? Maybe an example of someone who seeks glory or who's full of glory. Anyways, talk to somebody around you. The word glory. Go ahead. Okay. Give me some examples. Nala, give me an example. You can experience it in nature as I'm understanding on the top of Machu Picchu and think this is a spiritual 
Okay? Yep. Standing on top of a beautiful mountain space and, and just wrapped up in the glory of creation. Okay? Others? With what? Thankfulness. So tied to thankfulness. Okay? Someone just scored a winning goal. Yep. And the glory. Yep. Sports stuff. Nelly. Praise. So, yep. Tied in the glory. Right. Music. Yep. Yep. Jonathan. Ah, people respect those who have glory. Yeah. Being blessed. Rick. Heaven is glory. Oh, yeah. Surely. Giving birth. Okay. The old spiritual song. Okay. An old spiritual song. Oh, that uh, glory would be when I see his face. Yeah. There's lots of things we could say about glory. And and one of the things that comes into to play when we talk about glory is how it's often something you shouldn't seek, right? We shouldn't seek glory. It, it gets tied and twisted somehow to things of, of vain ambition. That's how it often gets packaged. When you go out seeking glory or to make a name for yourself, you end up with things like in Scripture, the Tower of Babel. They were out seeking to make a name for themselves. And they tried building a building up to the heavens so that they could kind of replace God. That was the idea. Or you get tied into the Civil War in the United States and the, the language of the Battle Hymn Republic that came out of it and singing glory, glory, hallelujah, his troops are marching on. And it was tied into this vicious, vicious war brothers turned against each other. Glory oftentimes gets diminished in our world because the way we seek glory becomes all-consuming and other-excluding. And most of all, it becomes detached from God. But this text, this text draws us back to glory and at one point we'll all come back to that and we'll name that glory as we go on. But but in order to get there, we need to start in a different place. No plan B. One of my pastors, uh, when I was in university and then in seminary, would come up to the pulpit each week, and he'd put his hands on both sides of it, and he'd say, Saints, I've stopped here on my way to glory to tell you a story. And then he would launch into his sermon. And almost every week he would start that way, holding the pulpit, saying he stopped on his way to glory. In that sense, he would unfold for us the way God's salvation had already been worked in Jesus Christ, but was also working in our lives so that we're wrapped into the story of God's mission in this world to renew all things, to make all things new. Some of the people who have reflected on that mission and are calling to be drawn into that mission of God, have said there's no plan B. 
I heard one conference speaker tell this, this long joke, and I won't take the full time. He took a really long time to tell it. But, but the essence of it is Jesus gets back to heaven after the ascension, and he sits with one of the angels, and the angel says, so what now? What are we going to do now? And Jesus says, we're going to watch. He's like, yeah, but what are we going to do? And he says, no, we're going to watch what they do. Because I've given them my spirit and I've sent them out. And they're going to do it. Yeah, but what if they turn their back on you? What if they fail? And, and it goes on and on. And after all the what ifs the angel can think of, Jesus just looks at him and says, Gabriel, there's no plan B. I've chosen them. I've given them my spirit. This is going to work. It will happen. And we catch a glimpse of that in this text. You may have realized from what Yadidja was reading that this is part of a prayer. It's in fact in the middle of a, a prayer, well, towards the end of a prayer. This is the end of a, a longer prayer that Jesus is praying. And he started out by praying for his disciples, those 11 who would carry on the work after he left. And he prays for them and prays that they would have unity and prays that they would be sent out just as Jesus does. And then he says this, My prayer is not for them alone, the them being the 11 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who will believe in me through their message. Jesus had total confidence in praying right before he goes to the cross that this plan of God's was going to work. This plan that God had set in motion that was going to require Jesus' death on the cross. That Jesus in a few moments was going to be arrested and beaten and falsely condemned and hung on a cross, brutally beaten by the Roman government, despised by his own people, he was convinced it was going to work. And not only was it going to work to set people free from their sins, but it was going to work to mobilize all of God's people to return to him and to participate in his way of life. And so he prays for that original 11, but then he also prays for those who would believe after them, who would believe because of their message. This actually is one of two passages that God used to change my heart when I was running away from God. I read these words and I began to weep because I realized that Jesus was praying for me. I'm one of the people who came to believe because of the message that my parents told and my grandparents in the community around us and the message that had been told to them and told to them and told to them and you can keep going back and you eventually get back to that original 11 who were sent out. And what Jesus prayed here was that all those people who would come to believe would actually, would actually be wrapped up in what Jesus is praying for. They would be wrapped up into this mission that God was doing in Jesus Christ to release the world from sin and death, to make all things new, to bring about his kingdom here on earth. Jesus, just before he dies, prays for us. Let that sit with you for a moment. It's often said that just before people die, their life flashes 
before them and they have all sorts of memories of what's happened already and the things that are important to them come to the forefront. And I've talked with others who are on their deathbed and getting ready to die and what they're doing is looking back over their life, often with gratitude, sometimes with remorse, but often with gratitude for the life God's given them. And Jesus, just before he dies, is not looking back. He's looking ahead to the children and the children's children and the children's children after them to use the language of the Old Testament. Jesus is praying for us. We are the things, we are the people who are on his mind as he goes to the cross. And he doesn't have a backup plan if we somehow fail or, or mess up or make mistakes because there isn't one needed. You see, what he does in that cross is he makes all backup plans useless because he fulfills the law of God. He fulfills all the demands of it. He dies the death that we should have died so that we can live the life that he was living and that we can join him in that life both now and forevermore. There is no backup plan needed. He's finished it. He made that work complete so that we can be wrapped up in him and what he is doing now and for the rest of eternity. And he knows it's going to be a struggle for us to believe that. So the last gift he gives us is the gift of this prayer. He is praying for us as he goes to the cross. There's a temptation when someone starts talking about us or when they start showering their love on us that, that we start thinking it's all about us, right? You ever get that idea that it's all about you? Other people pay so much attention to you that, that you just, yeah, it's all about me, I got it together, yeah. We become like little kids full of pride, me, 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 me. And we start thinking only about ourselves. And Jesus is like, I'm praying for you, but it's not just about you. It's not about any one of you. It's all of you together. Look at, at the words that push towards unity in this. Not individualism, but unity. God's people drawn together. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Notice in verse 22, it's, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. It's this unity the unity of God's people, the unity we experience together of being one people together, united in Christ's death and resurrection, is where God's glory dwells. We become the living temple, as Paul says, in which God by his Spirit dwells. His presence living among us, dwelling among us, filling us with his glory. And it's in our unity together that that dwelling comes out. That that experience of God's presence comes to the surface. 
You know, there was a, a point in the Old Testament where, where the people of Israel had come out of the land of Canaan, and, and part of coming out was to give them uh, rules and laws that they were going to live by. But part of what God gave them as well was a tabernacle. And there's many, many chapters devoted in Exodus to how that tabernacle was supposed to be built. And when you get to Exodus 40, it says, when Moses had completed everything that God had commanded him to do, when that temple was built the way it was supposed to be, God's glory, which had been in the cloud, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, filled the temple, the tabernacle, filled it to its full and so much so that the people fell down and no one could go near it because God's presence was so tangibly present with them. And God was dwelling in the midst of his people because everything was structured the way it was supposed to be. And what we're hearing in this passage is Jesus drawing on that image, saying, when, when your people, Lord... When all the people you gather together are dwelling in unity, that's when it's going to be structured the way it's supposed to be and your presence, your glory, will dwell richly among them. It will be evident to the whole world when your people are united together. Father, I pray, not only for those disciples who are with me now, but those who will believe through their message that they may be one, that they might be united even as you and I are one, Father. Hear Jesus' deepest longing for us. His deepest longing is not that we would go out and change the whole world. That actually comes as a byproduct. His deepest longing is not that we would write great tomes of theology. That's actually another byproduct. His deepest longing for us. We would be united together in Christ just as God the Father and God the Son are united together. And that in our unity, the glory of God would dwell among us. Wouldn't it be amazing to be so united that we we tangibly experience God's unity, God's presence among us. That we can say we know that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are one because we see God's presence, God's glory among us in our relationships together. And wouldn't it be even more so as we worship and work and serve alongside Catholics and Presbyterians, Baptists, and non-denominational folks and people from all tribes and nations around the earth, that we as God's people come together and serve in this city and across the face of the earth. We being united in Christ is the prayer that Christ has for us as he goes to the cross. I want to flip it around a little bit because it's not just about our unity. He frames it in terms of a gift. And if we look at the other words in these same verses, we see it just as you are in me and I am in you. It's not about us. It's about the unity that God has with the Father, that Christ has with the Father. And it's so that the world may believe. So our unity isn't just so we can come together on Sunday and say, ah, God's good and have great times of worship. As good as that is. The unity God is trying to grow among us and longs for us to experience is so that the world may believe 
that God the Father sent God the Son. The unity that God calls us to is so that the world may believe. Not just so we feel good and we have a sense of salvation and, and all the assurance that comes with it. It's that last part of question and answer one in the Heidelberg Catechism. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of salvation and makes me holy, wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. We often forget that last part. We like to stop at the assures us of our salvation because that feels good. But he calls us into a way of life that by his spirit dwelling among us and uniting us together, we are called into a life of service so that the world may know that God the Father has sent God the Son. I have given them my glory. I've given them this unity that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. We get to be united with the Father. That, that question we read from Philip at the start of our confession time, Jesus is still responding to it here. I want the Father, the unity that the Father and the Son have. That's Jesus' prayer. I want our unity, Father, to be experienced by your people. I want what we have to be something that they have as well, and that because they're united with me, they're going to be united with you. No longer distant, no longer separated by a curtain with the Holy of Holies and the penalty of death keeping them apart but your people, united with you again, reunited, your people can dwell in your presence. So we're sent as united people, but, but there's something else in this text that's really rich. It's really rich, and, and we, gotta, we gotta take a moment to, to kind of savor it. Imagine, imagine a dog chewing on a bone. That dog gets that bone and goes sits outside in the, in, in the grass and is totally oblivious to everyone else as it just gnaws and gnaws and gnaws on that bone. And sometimes if you watch a dog long enough, you'll actually see them bury it and come back to the same bone the next day. They know where they bury their bones, despite what your yard might look like. And they pull it up and they start gnawing on it and gnawing it on again. And there's something so deep and so profound and so rich right here that we got to gnaw on it a minute. Here's what it says. Then the world will know when we're united in Christ and God's love is being made known through us, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The them here is all those who come to believe because of the disciples' message. You have loved them. We sing that song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. That's right here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit loves us. And the whole purpose of this unity is so that the world will know the love of God the Father as he sent God the Son and that we might believe that we are truly and deeply loved by God. That we are truly and deeply loved by God. 
Matthew. Matthew has two times he talks about the love of God the Father for love God the Son. Two times it gets voiced. One at Jesus' baptism. That's the type of moment this is when Jesus is praying for us. It is a baptism-type moment. And Jesus' baptism, and he comes up out of the water, and the dove representing the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, and God the Father speaks. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus is praying that we might know that God the Father loves us just as the Father loves Jesus. This is how, Je- how God the Father loved Jesus and how God the Father loves us. It's a baptismal moment. It's a moment that launches Jesus into his ministry, that, that prepares him for the road ahead, that sends him out to face what comes next is 40 days of temptation in the desert. And it's the love of God the Father being spoken to Jesus the Son. I love you, my son. That sends him out so he can endure the temptations that are in front of him. And then the second time is at the transfiguration. And this is where we see the glory of God all over again because it descends on them like a cloud. When we read that scripture, we need to think back to the tabernacle and the glory of God descending on the temple and filling it. And Jesus is there with Peter, James, and John. And the glory of God descends from heaven and wraps around Jesus. Moses and Elijah are there, the law and the prophets. And they speak God's peace to Jesus. And Jesus hears God's voice. While Peter was still speaking... God the Father interrupts Peter. It's kind of comical when you pay attention to it. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. We cannot hear often enough how deeply God the Father loves us. It is part of of his glory descending. It is part of his glory wrapping around us is that we might hear and believe that God the Father, through God the Son, and with the Holy Spirit, truly and deeply loves us. That changes everything. For Jesus, it sent him full of God's glory to the cross to finish the mission that God had sent before him. For the disciples, as the Holy Spirit comes on them and they've seen the resurrected Christ, they are sent out in the power of the Spirit, united as one, and they are scattered to the ends of the earth, preaching the good news that in Jesus Christ there is salvation. In Jesus Christ, God is making all things new. In Jesus Christ, sin and death itself will die and be no more. And we too are caught up in that story. We too are given that same glory of the unity of God the Father wrapped in as the beloved children of God sent out with his spirit to do the same work that we might go to the ends of the earth and to our neighbors next door telling of the love of God the Father in Jesus Christ the Son. Our world belongs to God talks about the mission that God gives us as his beloved children this way. 
joining the mission of God, the church, that's us, is sent with the gospel of the kingdom to call everyone to know and follow Christ and to proclaim to all the assurance that in the name of Jesus there is forgiveness of sin and new life for all who repent and believe. The Spirit calls all members to embrace God's mission in their neighborhoods and in the world. Not just those who are paid by the church. Not just those sent overseas as official missionaries. Not just those who work for some Christian organization or institution. All members. All of us together and all of us individually wrapped into this great glorious love of God sent out in God's mission in our neighborhoods, not just the geographic neighborhood around our church, and in the world, wherever our feet may tread. So if you're going to the pineries on vacation, you're still on mission. If you're going overseas on vacation or business, you're still on mission. All of us, in our comings and goings, grocery stores, gas stations, school, playground, baseball team, soccer team, all of those places, we are all still God's beloved children, wrapped in God's glory, sent on God's mission. And here's some of the things that Jesus asks us to prioritize. This continues that paragraph. To feed the hungry, bring water to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and free the prisoner. We repent of leaving this work to a few, for this mission is central to our being. I was reading a book this past week by a guy named Max Lucado. Max Lucado is a pastor in Texas. Writes some great devotionals. Incredibly powerful. Actually cranks out more than a book a year. Um, most of them around devotional stuff, helping us to learn how to follow Jesus better. And he's telling a story in this book that I've been working through of a nine-year-old kid who in his Sunday school class heard about places in the world where there's no water, no clean drinking water, and he went home, and the next week he brought back $20 from his savings account. And he said, Dad, I'm going to put this in the offering so that it can go to help build wells for those people who don't have clean water, and I want you to match it. A lot of gumption for a nine-year-old. His dad said, okay. And then his dad and him went to the congregation and said, we want you to match it as well. God took a nine-year-old's heart and sensitivity and transformed a congregation. And that congregation in one offering built two wells because a nine-year-old said, I know someone who's thirsty and I want to respond to their need. We don't have to have a degree. We don't have to have all sorts of professional access and influence to shape and change the world. We simply need to be responsive to the Spirit at work in us. When the Spirit nudges us, we say, yes, Lord. And we respond and wait and watch what God does. Towards the very end of our world belongs to God, it adds this. And it's in the context of us anticipating Jesus Christ's return. And I love just the simple beauty that comes out in the middle of it. We live confidently because we are his beloved children. We live confidently, anticipating his coming, offering him our daily lives, our acts of kindness, our loyalty, and our love.
We don't have to go change the world on these big events, although God may call us to do something on a global scale. What he does call us, all of us to do, is in our daily lives, simple acts of kindness, loyalty to other people, friendship, that we get invested in other people's lives, that they might experience through us the love of God the Father that we have received through Christ the Son. This is our mission, to love others, any other that we encounter, just as God the Father loved us through the Son. Let's pray. We thank you for your word, Lord. It is glorious. It is amazing. It is renewing and refreshing, and it is at time beyond our comprehension because you're so good, because you are so loving, because you are so faithful. Wrap us in the certainty of your love for us, made known through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, his ascension and his promised return that you are the one who says, I love you, my dear children, and I send you in that love. Lord, may we live confidently and boldly, attending to the needs of all people as we encounter them, Lord, by your grace and by the resources you give to us, whether small or great, that we may spend all we have letting others see and experience and hear how deeply you love them, even as you have loved us, even as you have loved Jesus, your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Invite us.